Welcome to the Unwritten Life Podcast, where we share that your deepest pain can lead to your biggest gain, and that your story is still unwritten. Now introducing your host, Tim Sawhook. Welcome to the show today, everybody. So excited to have you here for a new episode from Season 2 of the Unwritten Life Podcast. As always, I am excited to be back as your host, Tim Sawhook. I can't tell you how good it feels to be back behind the microphone again. I've really missed bringing these stories of hope to you guys every week. And I know from hearing from some of the listeners that you guys miss hearing these stories as well and that it means something to you. So I'm excited to get back at it. We have an amazing season two coming your way. So many great stories of hope and encouragement and stuff that's really just going to lift you guys up and give you that extra little something you need to get through your day to get through whatever you're going through, and maybe to share it with somebody else who is struggling who could also need that hope and encouragement as well. I know that the people that I've interviewed have really touched my heart and really inspired me in different ways, and I know it's going to do the same for you. But as we get started for season two, let's talk about contest. I want to give away gift cards for you guys. So how can we do this? Two different ways. One is by leaving a written review on iTunes about what you think about the podcast. Um, by doing that, that really brings the podcast out in front of more people and really giving that opportunity of that message of hope to spread. Or if you have left us an iTunes review before, please screenshot that and maybe list one of your favorite episodes in an email. We will be drawing a name and we'll be giving away a $25 gift card that would get season two kicked off. Like I promised you at the beginning, I have an amazing episode to kick off season two. It's powerful, strong, and full of hope and encouragement, and I hope it touches you guys today. Here is my conversation with Candace Wilson. Well, I would like to welcome Candace to the show today. Candace, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I am happy that you're here. I'm doing well, and I'm excited that you took the time to share your story today. So, like I ask everybody at the very beginning of every episode, before we get right into your story. What was it like a little bit before? So uh, before Nora came into our lives, um, we had one older boy. Mm -hmm. He was two years old at the time. Um, and our my husband and I have been married for about two years also, three years, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and Richard and I, my husband Richard, and I met uh, – actually long ago when I was playing basketball with his older sister. So that's okay. how we first met. Um, so when we were in high school, we, we saw each other on the basketball court. And then, <laughs> and then we went away to college. Uh, and then we ran into each other um, over Christmas break. And the rest is history. We dated for several years, mm -hmm. um, got married in 2012, and then had our first baby in 2013 2013 so you guys had love at first sight on this basketball court years ago separated up through college came back <laughs> on that beautiful holiday and saw each other again and then it was magic uh yeah that's that's pretty much exactly <laughs> how how he would describe it <laughs> <laughs> that's not a hallmark movie is that what you're telling me that's exactly right <laughs> really funny um so you guys got married and then you had your first child what was what's his name his name, he is the fourth Richard in the family. His oh, name is okay. Richard Dean Wilson, the fourth. And we call him Richard Dean, mm -hmm. which is 
you know, because I also call my husband Richard. So it's, our life is very confusing, or, you know. <laughs> a lot like, of Richards. Who are you talking to? That's exactly right. Yep. <laughs> so what was it like having your first baby, having the first baby in the house? You know, it was, um, motherhood really is an amazing, amazing journey for, mm -hmm. for me. And um, so I, it's transforming. Uh, that's the word that I use to dis to describe it. I, I think there was no way that anybody could have prepared me for the amount of love that was going to be pouring into my world. So um, I loved it. I loved Absolutely. it. So yeah. I'm sitting here and I can see your huge smile on your face for everyone who won't ever see this video. And I promise yeah. Candace, this video is going nowhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just that joy you have on your face talking about being a mom and the love that came into your life. Uh, you can see it really radiate through you when you're smiling. Um, so how long did you have your first baby before you guys started talking about having more additions to the family? Yeah, we gave it a solid year. We said, let's... Um Let's wait a year and kind of get through that first year of just focusing on Richard Dean and our mm -hmm. family and some of the adjustments we have to make when you're, you know, new parents. Yeah. And then we said, hey, let's get the show on the road. Let's have another. <laughs> <laughs> so did you always, when you guys first got married or even growing up, did you always envision you wanted a big family? You know, I... I don't know that I envisioned a big family. I think I knew that I always wanted to have children, mm -hmm. um, but I didn't, I didn't know how many. And Richard, um, my husband Richard was actually, he was, he was certain that he wanted to start a family and start a family pretty quickly. Um, mm -hmm. And then I basically bought into his <laughs> yeah, It story. usually takes both people to buy into that. That's right. Baby. That's right. <laughs> I'm glad you finally got on board. <laughs> Richard's dream of having a big family, having a family early on. That's right. So yep. after a year, you guys decided, let's try again. Let's try again, and we got pregnant um, really fast with with Nora, and we were thrilled about the idea of having a boy and a girl. Yes. Uh, I grew up with all boys, and so in mm -hmm. in my life, I you know I was like I, I'm destined to just have all boys. So when <laughs> we found out that we were having a girl, I was thrilled, like over the top, pumped to raise a little superwoman, as I said, like in my in my text message back to the family, like, it's a girl. That's awesome. It's such yeah. a good feeling. Like you, yeah. we started with a boy yeah. at him for about a year and a half, and then we have a daughter. So I was, I understand that path of getting so excited. I was so happy to have a boy. Like, yes, right. I have a boy, but then I knew I was going to have a girl, and it was just a whole different realm of emotions. That um, is so true. Perfect. Very exciting. Yep. So what was the pregnancy like? The pregnancy was all um, pretty normal, you know, we, and when I say pretty normal, it was a normal pregnancy. Mm -hmm. um, I felt good. I did feel different than I felt the first time around. Um, and, you know, looking back, and when I, it was normal in the sense that every test that we ever took, all of the results of everything um, told us that Nora was healthy and we didn't have anything to worry about. Mm -hmm. But also, I... I, I worried about Nora a lot and I, I never knew I'm kind of a, I worry anyway. And right. so I wasn't always sure, um, you know, what this sort of gut feeling was all about. Was it just me worrying mm -hmm. or was something going on with Nora, um, you know, that kind of warranted some of those worrisome thoughts that went through my mind. So 
So, but overall, I mean, I, I felt good. I had, I, I was excited for her to get here because right. I wanted to hold her and know that she was, that she was okay. Um, yeah. And then she, so, okay. The the only thing that was noteworthy, um, really, mm-hmm. you know, was the day or the first signal that there was something that, you know, maybe wasn't okay was uh, when I went into labor at 35 and a half weeks. Okay. Yeah. So what sent you into labor so early? They, um, after I delivered Nora, they found that there was an abruption in my placenta, mm-hmm. um, a small abruption. And so the... While they don't know why that abruption was there or anything, they said that was probably what ended up putting sending me into labor early was was just that the placenta was kind of starting to pull away. And so, you know, the body decided, hey, we got to get this baby out of here. Yeah. Okay. So was your second pregnancy, was it completely different than the first? Did you have any, did you go early or did you go late? With my first pregnancy, I carried what they consider full term, so 39 weeks and delivered okay. Richard Dean at 39 weeks. Okay. Yeah. So no, his was completely normal, normal delivery, yeah. nothing early. Okay. That's right. So on what day was Nora born? She was born on November 20th, 2015. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love when you light up when you talk about Nora. <laughs> and I mean, as soon as you talk about your babies, you light up. I love that. Um, and so... You know that something's going on early. You're gonna have the baby early. Okay. Were you scared when you got the news that the thing with the placenta was going on, or did it kind of reaffirm your gut feeling, or what? You know, I so I didn't we I didn't know that until after I had delivered her. So oh, okay. I will describe um, Richard, my husband, actually had gone out of town. He was in Montana visiting um, his his family up in Montana, um, and I was out swinging our oldest on the swing and I started feeling contractions and I was thinking hmm could this be labor <laughs> right <laughs> I don't. um and I went and laid down and did all the things that you're supposed to do and then realized like yeah I think I'm having this baby so um, my mom ended up coming and picking me up and taking me to the hospital and uh and then I delivered her um and then when the doctor saw the placenta, that's when they decided, like, oh, there was an abruption in your placenta. Perhaps that's why she came early. Okay. Um, and even at that point, you know, I I wasn't, you know, she was here. She was breathing. She was crying. She was doing all the things a baby right. should do. Um, and honestly, I just felt relief. I was like, she's here. Mm-hmm. We're done being pregnant. I was just, like, yeah. happy to see her, hear her. And um and, you know, and really was just thrilled for Richard to get home from Montana. Oh, he right. was racing home um, to try to make the delivery, and he didn't make it, but he was there about an hour later. So so what was it like when you first got to see Nora and hold her for the first time? Oh, I was just like, I was just thrilled, you know. she's She was there, and she was early, and she was unexpected. And I remember <laughs> just, like, pulling the blanket open and, like, checking out her beautiful little body and being like, yay, you're here, and just yeah. loving on her, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. How much did she weigh when she was born? She was 5'6". Five, 5'6", six. Five, six. okay. 5'6", so about a month early, um, and a little smaller. Both, both the boys, or the oldest boy was 7'6", Richard Dean weighed 7'6", and Eli weighed 7'1", so she was a little bit smaller. Oh, she was just a little baby girl. That's right. Absolutely. That's right, yeah. 
So how early on? So you're there, you have the baby. When did things start to change where you thought there was something maybe going on or the doctor said something? Yeah, so it, that actually happened pretty quickly. So okay. I got to hold Nora um, and love on her for about, I, I'm going to say 15, 20 minutes. Um, and the doctors were just watching her carefully. And they noticed her getting um, kind of limp. So they tested her glucose, um, and um, and it was really low. So they knew they needed to take her away. And testing the glucose or having low glucose is just a normal test for mm -hmm. early babies. They look for signs of that, and then if they test low, they know that they need to give them some extra some extra help. So mm -hmm. the nurse took Nora away and took her back to the nursery to get her hooked up to um, you know help her get those glucose levels. Um, and even then, you know, I was like, oh, of course you're bummed. Like, but, right. but you also know that there's that possibility when you're delivering a, a baby who's a month early. Right. So I wasn't, um, at that point I wasn't even really concerned. Um, right. you know, I gave her a kiss, I handed her over to the nurse and I just kind of was thinking, you know, it was. I was not fearful at that time. And in hindsight, that's kind of strange to me. It's like I, I had no idea what I was turning, you know, what, what the next steps were going to be. Um, right. Positioned to me as she just needs a little bit of extra help right now. We're going to monitor her in the nursery and you can come back in just a little while. Um, mm -hmm. And I was just like, okay, that's great. Um, so... So that night, um, you know, they brought me back in, several hours went by, and then they brought me in to see her, and and they said, the doctor's report out at the time was, you know, where she has um, low blood pressure and right. low blood sugar, so we're going to send her down to a hospital in Roseville that just is better equipped to take care of these kind of babies. Mm -hmm. um, the quote from the doctor was, she's going to, she, she will be the healthiest baby in the NICU, uh, but she does need a little bit of extra, extra care, probably for the next week, just until, um, you know, she has enough strength and, and can monitor these things on her own. Okay. Um, well, let me ask you a question. So at this yeah. point, your husband's made it, he's arrived. He made it there yeah. an hour later. Yeah. And when he arrived, is the baby still with the doctors at this point? Correct. Yep. Okay. And so what were you thinking during this period where it's been a little bit longer than you thought it might be that she's not back yet and you haven't seen Nora? Certainly anxiety was building. Right. Um, I, yeah, anxiety was building. You, I just wanted to be close to her. And then when they um, took me in to see her, uh, she was connected. She had tubes, you know, they were monitoring her blood pressure. Mm -hmm. They were, um, you know, giving her things to help regulate her her blood sugar, and they're just watching her heart and watch, you know, so I couldn't scoop her up and hold her. Right. Um, and that was like, that's like crushing. That's right. That's like really, really crushing. So. Um, you want to protect her at that point, you know? For you sure. Hearing her that whole time. Totally. You want to protect them and also like they want to be protected. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made me, it was, it was really hard to see her there 
and she was so calm and like sweet and beautiful and be- yeah, yeah and beautiful and i just i just wanted to love on her well i imagine i can relate in a way our our daughter now who's 14 she was born about six weeks early so she was in the NICU same situation where she was hooked up to all the tubes and cords and everything and um, she had to stay there for a couple weeks because she had breathing stuff and and I remember we had to wheel my wife down in the bed because and you can't touch them or hold them and she's had that same feeling just I just want to hold her you know I've been she came early and I, I want to so I understand that feeling I remember being there looking at the baby and being beautiful and just thinking, I, I'm her dad, finally been waiting, I don't want to hold her, but all the things were going off, and it was really scary, so I can yeah. understand what that had been like at that moment for you. For sure, yep, it's, um, and, and part of me, you know, at that time, I also was trying to just manage my emotions of, you know, mm-hmm. this, this seems huge right now, but she's healthy, she's fine, like, we can get through this, someday this will be just a little bump in the road, right, um, and, and, you know, in my mind, again, they were reporting blood sugar issues and blood pressure issues, so this is not, these are manageable things, so I was trying to keep a perspective of, um, this is not critical, she is early, they are telling me these are normal 35-week baby things, it's all going to be fine, Mm -hmm. So they came, um, the transport team came in and ended up taking her several hours later. Um, I, I was not discharged, so they have to wait for doctors to come discharge me too. So oh. Nora went down to the hospital um, alone, which was also like, I, uh, it, that, that was, it, it was just, it's terrible. I imagine uh, that would be very tough to see your baby go. It is, and, and these strangers come in. So right. you're sitting in the hospital bed, and strangers, a transport team, which mm-hmm. are, you know, trained professionals who know what they're doing, so you want to have all the confidence in the world, but you don't know these people, and they're putting your baby in this plastic box on a stretcher, mm-hmm. and she's got all these tubes on her, and you're not, you're like, you're just handing your whole world over to, mm-hmm. you know, people you don't know and to a process you're not familiar with. And right. It's brutal. Brutal. I, I can imagine, you know, that feeling you had at that time, that hopeless feeling of like, I'm giving up my baby away. I'm not sure what's going on. How was your husband during this whole time? How was he reacting? Was he trying to help you manage you or trying to manage expectations? Um. Yeah. Richard is, he's really good at, at putting on a brave face when he needs to. He's a firefighter. Right. <laughs> so that's kind of what they do. Um, and, and I think he felt confident. I think he was, at the time, he was probably more worried about me and helping me with, with the situation and mm-hmm. trusting that Nora, everybody was doing the right thing for Nora. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he also was mostly in charge of taking care of our oldest son too. So he, right, he, um, you know, he had gone home to check on our on our oldest son at the time too. Um, so, so yeah, in general, he uh, he did a good job of just being brave and and stoic through these initial hours. Well, I imagine he was more 
apt to trust the process because people trust him as part of the process coming in. You know, he's a firefighter. When things go wrong, they, these are the professionals who come in and take care of that. He probably saw these people as a transport team as professionals who come in and, you know, kind of trust the process. I imagine it's probably something like that. That's exactly right. Perfectly stated. So at this point now that you're waiting to be discharged, what kind of time frame is happening here? Yeah, so that was at the the transport team. Um, Nora came at like 10 o'clock in the evening. She she ended up being transported around 3 a.m. Okay. And then I got discharged uh, early afternoon. Uh, of that same day, okay, which is a completely different story. <laughs> like, right, <laughs> get me out of this place. I've got to go see my baby. Uh, so, so early afternoon, um, we were headed out to the the car to load me up, and we were going to just go home, grab a couple things, and get down to see Nora. Mm-hmm. And my phone rang, and it was a doctor from um, from the hospital where Nora was, and he said. She's regulating her own um, blood pressure now. Um, they've taken her off of. She doesn't. She's fine. Basically, get her down. Get down here. I want to make sure she can. Um, she can eat. That she can nurse. Um, and we'll be sending you home. So that, that must was, have been an amazing feeling, right? That was like hallelujah. Everything's gonna be okay. Let's get me to that hospital. Mm-hmm. Get this milk flowing, and we're out of here. Right. And. Um, and yeah, so I was thrilled. Um, I didn't feel overly anxious or panicky when we were packing our bag to head down to see Nora. I was feeling confident, like, you know, let's go get her. Right. Get her, get her home, and let's yeah. start our family to get, get it moving, right? That's exactly right. Yes. So what so, was it like once you arrived? Yeah, so once we arrived, um, we walked into the NICU. It's a relatively small NICU. It is not a you know where all the critical babies are um so i walked in the nurse i introduced myself and you know went through processes i got to see nora she was uh, laying on her tummy all you know cuddled up like babies are mm-hmm. and um and i asked if i could hold her and they said yes so i grabbed her and hugged her and snuggled her and That's we awesome. sat in the chair and rocked um and um, we tried to nurse. She wasn't really interested in nursing. So, and this is late. This is like middle, um, well, I guess night. It's nighttime. I don't really remember which hours. So mm-hmm. I just stayed there with her for a couple hours. We tried a few more times. Um, and then the nurse who was there, she was also making the rounds to the babies and feeding them and stuff. So, um, she said that I remember her saying that Nora didn't have a very strong suck, even on, you know, the bottle that they were trying to give her. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really all she said. She said, I'm going to keep trying this throughout the night, but you know, she doesn't have a very strong suck right now, which again, totally normal for right. a 35 week old baby. Um, and and so again, I I wasn't I wasn't worried. These are in my mind, the main challenges that we were facing were had been overcome. She mm-hmm. was not connected to to wires or anything anymore. Um, and she'll we can get her food. Right. Uh, so, 
Um, probably about, oh, you can't spend the night there. You can't sleep in the NICU. Right. So late, I was probably one or two o'clock in the morning or after I'd just been there awake and I was getting tired. Um, and so I decided with a lot of nurses' encouragement, you need to go sleep, <laughs> um, that to go back to the hotel. So, um, you know, gave her snuggles, gave her kisses, and mm-hmm. went to the hotel where Richard and Richard Dean were, and then came back um, early the next morning and noted that they had been, they had put a feeding tube in. Okay. That was the most, um, and, and I wasn't even overly concerned then. I mean, visually it was kind of like, oh, she had her feeding tube in that goes in through their nose and then down. Right. Her um, the nurses, all, several nurses made a comment to me about how this is, you know, showing me how much tube was inside of her and making sure like this is the number where it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and stuff, um, and she, and and she was throwing up a lot, um, which they said. We're, so we're adjusting our formula on the frequency and how right. much we're bringing her, trying to find this happy, you know, where her tummy's not so upset. Um, again, in my mind, not ideal. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and um, and I, as I was holding her throughout this second day. Mm-hmm. Something had changed in her um, demeanor, you know, the, when she was first born and when I was holding her that first night, she was acting like a baby. She was, uh, her body was like kind of firm and tense and she was crying mm-hmm. and she was moving. Day number two, she was very kind of limp and she was having a hard time controlling her 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 body temperature mm-hmm. um, and they were adjusting her formula and, and stuff and you know there was a, kind of a lot going on that day and just checking on her and making sure she's okay right he also had not been peeing that day but but also she, she wasn't getting a whole lot so these mm-hmm. are all of the conversations we're having with the medical team were just you know noting the things that they were keeping an eye on, mm-hmm. but also they would always be follow up with, she she probably needs another week and all this stuff is just going. It's normal for them not to be able to pee right now. It's right. like their the body is still kind of, they're, they're supposed to be in you. They're, they're adjusting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so we left, um, to go grab some food that afternoon and we came back and the doctors, um, well, the, the nurses, uh, we, we, we were just holding her um, and cuddling with her and everything. And then a doctor peeked their head around the corner and said, Hey, can we talk to you? And instantly I knew like, Oh gosh, what is yeah. We had been away for about an hour. Um, and she said, well, the nurse, witnessed something when you guys were away for lunch, it looked like, um, you know, Nora may have had a seizure. And, oh, wow. And instantly, like, sick to your stomach feeling of, like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, like, things are 
this is not, not good. Remember all the things that I said that were really manageable? Like right. this leisure situation coming out of nowhere all of a sudden felt very serious to me. Mm-hmm. So their plan was to, um, they were trying to figure out, are we going to do um, her brain scan and stuff here at this hospital or was she going to be sent to another hospital to do that? Um, in the course of the time of trying to get that organized, another nurse had noticed that Nora's belly was mm-hmm. getting very bloated, okay. it was very big and kind of puffy. Um, and, um, and so they decided that they needed to do an x-ray of her tummy. And what they found was that there was air outside of her stomach mm-hmm. that should not be there. Um, and all of a sudden, this took this became the new priority. So the seizure that they thought they witnessed was pushed off. Right. Um, and then they sent her. They they were going to. They trans decided they needed to transport her again to a new hospital. Um, and she needed to go in for emergency surgery. Let me ask you a question. During this whole time, because this is only a matter of two days, right? Correct. Yep. Okay. So in two days, you go from the excitement of having the baby, the fear of leaving it go, the excitement of hearing everything is going to be okay, she's regulated, get there, get her fed, get out. Yeah. Then you come back, you know, she's got a two fade in, she's not really eating well, not using the restroom well. Um, during this time where they say, okay, now we're going to maybe send her to another hospital, did you have time to like freak out or were you just like in the moment and I, I just got to manage who's going to take my baby? What are we going to do next? Yeah, very much the latter. I was very much, um, I, I liked, I like to understand what is going on. I mm-hmm. like feel very responsible for not just Nora, but in, I mean, Anybody that I love, if I hear something is going on, then I'm going to the doctor with you. We're gonna, I'm going to understand what the test says. I'm going right. to understand what, the, what is going on. So I was, I, while the transport team was getting Nora all hooked up, I was sitting down at the computer with the doctor, going over the x-rays, asking about the test results, mm-hmm. probing deeper to try to understand where are we with the brain situation now. I, I just... I needed to understand the game plan. So I was right. like in this ultra focused place. Okay. Um, and it, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't until again that Nora was hooked up and I had to, you know, hooked up um, and ready to be transported again that I had another, you know, breakdown moment there sure. of having, having to send her um, to the ambulance alone um, while I get my husband and son and pack up our belongings from the hotel and and Mm. follow her there. So the doctor's comments at that time were just, he showed me all of her different chemistry panels, the results um, of her tests. And he Mm. basically told me right then, like, I have no idea what's going on with her. Her chemistry panels were a mess. Like just the numbers didn't make sense to what they were seeing. Um, her her clotting factors um, and for her blood were way off. Her glucose levels had were been a mess again. There was just a lot of stuff there that he was having a hard time, uh, you know, kind of boiling down. 
he thought the air in her stomach was the result of um, a perforated bowel, which is just, you know, nine times out of 10 when there's air in the abdomen of an infant, outside the abdomen of an infant, it is due to a perforated bowel. So she was sent um, to Sutter Sacramento with, that was her diagnosis. Okay. Um, How yeah. far are these hospitals away from each other? Are these uh, long trips from each other? Are they relatively close? They're about 45 minutes for okay. each. Yeah, from 45 minutes, 30 to 45. Yep. Well, let me ask you a question here. We talked about it a little bit, a few minutes ago about with your husband and being stoic and like trusting the process, you know, trust the doctors, trust the transport team. Uh-huh. When you were also maybe buying into him being strong in that to the point where the doctor now says, I have no idea and you've trusted the process and you use the word, everything was manageable up to this minute. Uh-huh. What was that feeling like? Like the people in charge, they don't even know. Like, so what can I do? Yep. So, um, I've, I very much, I was, I was happy at the time to be going to the next hospital, which I knew was a, if there was a good hospital to be at in Sacramento, Sutter Sacramento is where we needed to be. Um, And I also was bought into the doctor's plan of, you know, while he couldn't make sense of, of the results he was seeing, there was a very clear priority that mm-hmm. we had to get her perforated bowel fixed. And, and once we did that, then some of these other things that they're seeing could clear up. Got it. And so let's take care of the, the most urgent thing first, and mm-hmm. then we're going to move to the second or, you know, to three, two, three, four, five. Um, right. and, and there's a chance two, three, four, five, just, just clean up when we get this big issue. And I, and I, at the time I even asked about, I, um, I said, could some of these like, you know, this chemistry stuff that I don't even remember the long list of things that, you know, they're, they're measuring, could this have impacted or caused, um, Nora's body to go into this, have this possible seizure moment? Mm -hmm. And they said, absolutely. Okay. So, and again, whether that is accurate or not, I don't know that, but there's a doctor telling me that all these things mm-hmm. could be connected. And so I was bought into, let's get her her surgery and we'll worry about the next, the next phase after that. Were you concerned that they couldn't do the surgery just right there? Were you ever asking like, why can't we just do this here instead of sending her to another hospital? I didn't. Um, you know what? And I don't remember really the answers, but it was it was just very clear to me that they couldn't do it do it there. It was a uh, weekend. I, there wasn't a doctor around. Um, they needed to get her to a to a okay. better place, and, and I was always okay with that. I knew the transportation wasn't ideal, and transportation is hard on babies. Sure, but we didn't have a choice, so we were doing it. Okay, so they've yeah. taken her and starting to transport her to the next hospital. You guys have to go get your stuff together and get there what happened next so then we um we load up and we start heading to the hospital um call our family let them know what's going on uh, about i don't know we're probably 15 minutes away from the hospital and the surgeon calls um and they were like where are you guys you need to get here we got papers to sign we got stuff to do Mm -hmm. um so you know floor it (laughs) yeah so um, so we did, and we got there, um, 
And when we arrived at Sutter Sacramento, um, you know, the images and stuff that are in my mind, like I, I will, I just won't be able to forget this, but they, they basically, they meet you at the front door and you are hightailing it to the NICU where your baby is hooked up. There was, there were doctors and surgeons and nurses frantically mm -hmm. moving around Nora. And what had happened is the transportation was hard on her and mm -hmm. she was tanking fast. They needed to order fresh frozen plasma, whole blood. They had to get all mm -hmm. of this stuff ready for surgery. And she was, the doctors were around her in, and the nurses like in resuscitation mode of, you know, it was, it was really like, you know, it was traumatic and, mm -hmm. but it also was, it was amazing. I mean, the team was like, everybody was just all hands on deck. We got to get this figured out. They were calling down to the blood bank, like, no, now I need right. blood now. Um, and no, forget it. Don't bring it to this place. Meet me in the elevator. Bring me the blood in the elevator. We got to go. Wow. Um, and we, we ran, we ran with Dora and her medical team. They were running her to the operating room. Mm -hmm. And, and again, she's in this plastic box. She's got everything, all these tubes on her. And, mm -hmm. um, you're signing papers, you're signing papers as you're, as you're running, like things, wow. she may survive, she may not survive, like you're, and the surgeon was amazing, um, she was really great, but anyway, so, so we ran her to the OR, and we, and that, that was it, we knew, like, we sat in the waiting room, our family brought us some food, mm -hmm. we waited, the hospital people were awesome. They gave us like our own kind of special room for our family. And and the phone rang. It was supposed to be about a 45 minute to an hour surgery. Okay. Right around an hour, the phone rang. And you ha you see up on the board like what with the baby's name and what the what the status of surgery is. So right. knew that it was still ongoing. The phone rang and it was just uh, you know, and an admin tech of some sort that said they found a hole in her stomach. So she's working to fix it. Okay. Um, which for me at the time, I didn't know that they meant literally the stomach. Right. You know, I, I assume I was like, okay, great. They found the hole. Right. Um, and assumed it was still in the bowel and that this tech person didn't actually mean stomach, stomach. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then, and then, you know, I guess another 20, 30 minutes later, the surgeon comes in and sees us in our room. And she said, I found the hole. Uh, she drew a picture. She said, I, it, it was actually in her stomach. She had a hole in her stomach. Wow. And I had to cut away a third of her stomach had died. So I had to cut away all of that shirt, oh all God. of that stomach, and then sewed her back up. Um, she described this little scar that she would have on her belly, um, but it's fixed. And mm -hmm. she was like, you know, she, she's, she's so happy. The surgeon mm -hmm. is like, so it was like success. I mean, we hugged, we high-fived. Like I, I, 
in my journal that night when I wrote, I think the words I used were like, we dodged a bullet. We dodged a bullet today. Like we were so, it was just such lows of like, is she going to survive this? Is she strong enough to survive this surgery? Right. We found it. We did it. She's like, she's going to be okay. Um, well, let me jump back in your story just a little bit. I want to ask yeah. you a couple of questions. The one, the intensity I see in your in your eyes when you're telling the story about when you guys arrive there and it's frantic around, and you see your baby hooked up to all the stuff and all the doctors are moving fast and ordering blood and meet us here. Just the fact that not only did you say it was scary, but that you found like beauty in the chaos right there. That it was amazing seeing all these people working so hard for this little little teeny baby. You know, yeah. that nobody even knew for more than a couple of days, but everyone is frantic and sprinting and paperwork. And um, just the fact that you can even now think that was beautiful how they operated just to try to keep Nora going and fight for her and fight for her and fight for her when we were just, you know, depending on them for everything. The time when they move you, they take her away to the surgery and they move you to that special room with your family. Uh-huh. What, what was that 45 minutes to an hour like when you guys were in there together? It was... Um, it was a lot of quiet. Um, we didn't, if Richard Dean wasn't there, uh, you know, a two year old at the time distracting us and us needing to distract him. Right. uh, Not a lot of words were being exchanged. It was, I think we were all kind of deep in our own thoughts and, um, Mm -hmm. and everything that could have been shared kind of had had been shared and had been discussed. Um, so it was it was long and it was uh, quiet, um, mm-hmm. quiet sometimes. And and I also I also remember uh, while we were in before we got moved to our room, like looking around the room and and looking at everybody else's faces in that room mm-hmm. and in this. This was the. It was probably the first time, but not the last time that I felt this. And just thinking, like, this hospital is full of people doing this same stuff right now, mm-hmm. like perfect strangers that are just full of all of this, you know, fear and anxiety and. Um, I don't know. We were just connected in such a strange way. So I remember that just looking at the expressions of people's, the other family's faces in that, um, Mm -hmm. in that waiting room. Yeah. So I imagine you, like you said, you guys become part of a club. No one asked to be part of at that point. You're like you said, perfect strangers connected by fear, hope, anxiety, maybe joy, maybe sadness in that moment. And, um, what a moment of reflection for you to even think about that now. And even then, like we're connected, I'm seeing these people's faces and they're hoping for the same thing I'm hoping for. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it is kind of, you know, even now when you go into the NICU and certainly when we were there, we didn't share our stories with really any other families that were there. There, Uh There's not a lot of, words that are spoken but there are a lot of hugs that are shared and a lot of eye contact and head nods and um 
you know, if we had extra food, we just left it there because, you know, right. left it in the waiting room. You know, that's just one example of like, um, I think, like you say, it's just, we, we know the journey is not an easy one. And mm-hmm. yeah, and we are just, I guess, all kind of connected in that. You try to build as much way. community as you can in that moment. Yeah, you know? that's exactly right. Yep. Right. I, I do yeah. remember that same experience with our daughter in the NICU. There's not a lot of talking. There's a lot of concern and a lot of head nods and hugs and yeah. hope yeah, all going on right. in, that, in that moment. So yep. I'm just going to go b- jump back into your story. You know, they've come out. They found it. You guys are high-fiving and hugging and you're journaling that we dodged a bullet. What, what came next? So, so we went home that night. Um, we went to a friend's house who lives in Sacramento. We stayed there, and um, and I was feeling happy. You know, like I said, I was I was journaling that, you know, we dodged a bullet and that things are. Mm-hmm. I just felt sure that um, that we got over it. And, and the stomach was fixed. The surgeon was optimistic. The doctors were optimistic. That night when I called in to to check on Nora throughout the night, so probably three times, I called in. The report out from her nurse was always, um, she's doing fine. Mm-hmm. We'll see you in the morning. Like, she's okay. stable. She's doing fine. We'll see you in the morning. Um, but so we went in in the morning. And uh, and I stayed in the waiting room with with Richard Dean and let let Richard, my husband, go back to see Nora first. And we're in a good place that morning. Mm-hmm. But Richard, when Richard came back, you could there was a glass window that you could see him walking through. So he came out of the NICU doors, and I saw him cross through a glass window, and he was crying hysterically, mm-hmm. and I was like oh, man, what is going on? Right. And he came in and he just sat down, kind of gathered himself, and he he said, I don't know if she's going to make it, babe. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, wow, what happened? What is going on? And he, he couldn't even really tell me. He mm-hmm. didn't know. And this is very much his personality. You know, when, when I said I'm going to ask the doctor 500 million questions, right? he's not going to do that. So he saw her, he knew that she was in a critical place, and um, and he came in to get me in to tell me what was going on. So, so I went back there, and, um, and she wasn't good, and rightly or wrongly, you know, that nurse that I was talking to that night, she didn't know me. She'd probably, you know, mm-hmm. there was a reason why she was saying the things that she was saying. Um, but Nora wasn't having a good night. She was really, her body was not, um, like accepting the fluids and those the blood and all of the products that they were trying to feed her. She was, re- her body was not, it wasn't being absorbed into her system. So a bunch of all the fluids are being pushed into her tissues and she still wasn't peeing. So she was retaining massive amounts of fluid, mm. um, and and you can so you can you can visually just see 
how much I, I don't remember how much weight she put on, but she was this, you know, five and a half pound small baby coming out of surgery with this tiny little cut on her belly and a heart band-aid to cover it. And the next morning she had rolls and her face was huge. I mean, she put on again, I don't I Right. So much weight. You could visually see the weight on her and and every one of the portals available on her on her medical devices were being used to feed her and give her things and monitor, uh, try to get her to pee. Um, her clotting factors were way off. She was she was just really really sick. And the doctors came in and said, you know, this is this is kind of to be expected. The first two to three days after surgery are gonna be they're gonna be hard. Um, but the thing that I found the most, I guess, optimism in was she, the doctor said, this will clear up, you know, unless there is an underlying metabolic issue. Right. This will clear up. Um, so, again, that was what I was hanging my hat on and trusting, sure. trusting them with. Um, and so for the next, you know, seven to 10 days, you know, something probably more like 10 days. This was the routine with what we did back and forth every single day, all day was pray for peeing. Mm -hmm. We prayed for urine like nobody has ever prayed for <laughs> urine before. Like, I, I imagine, yeah. Oh my gosh, because she had to start peeing off all those fluids. Like her right. body was, and every day we would come in and look at this chart and we would, you know, if we saw that her weight was going down, it was like, hallelujah. Right. Um. And if she wasn't, and, and it really was a yo-yo, she would have a day when she would pee like a champ, mm -hmm. and then she would have a day when he did, she didn't. They could, you know, one day we would come in, and some of those portals had been, like, shut down. She didn't need it. She would be breathing, relying less on, on the breathing machine, and mm -hmm. then would come back in, and it would, you know, that would change. And everybody, the staff, other NICU families that we, you know, that we knew outside of the hospital, everybody said the NICU was one step forward and two steps back. So this is just normal. Right. Um, and then, and when, one of the last visits um, with, with her doctor, you know, he came in and sat us down and said, um, I'm cautiously optimistic that we're turning a corner. Like he felt like things were starting to stabilize a little bit. Um, and so we just, you know, we were plugging away. Sure. And, and, and in the side conversations that Richard and I were having were like, you know, how long can her body stay in this state really mm -hmm. of being so critical without lasting impacts? Um, they also ended up doing the the brain scan, and um, and and it came back as normal. Mm -hmm. But also, they noted a few things on her brain that like could just be some fluid, um, or could be some other things that could be a big deal. But but again, and and I always hated that. Like that's such a vague, terrible answer. Right. Um, but again we still were facing the most critical thing. Right. And, and until this was, until she was more stable and through these critical woods, then we couldn't talk about the brain. So 
um, then one day we we went home and we were going to get our Christmas tree and try to do something fun with our little boy who had just you know we were um, we wanted to get a smile on his face and we the doctors were encouraging sure. us um, you know go go do something to kind of re-energize yourself so we came back home near Grass Valley mm -hmm. and got cut down a Christmas tree we had a pretty good afternoon and as we were driving home. Um, there was this absolutely magnificent pink sunset, like mm -hmm. incredibly beautiful. The whole sky was just lit up pink. And I, um, I said out loud to Richard, like, she's going to be okay. Like the sunset is telling us, like, right. This is your sign. Yeah. Um, and we stayed home and slept in our own beds, uh, that night and then woke up early and we're driving back down to Sacramento um, to be with her that morning. And when we were driving, the, the hospital called. And, and, of course, I'm calling. I'm checking on her throughout the night. So every right. two to three hours, I'm waking up. I'm calling the hospital to check on her. Um, nothing, nothing drastic. We're pretty used to the yo-yo by now, and it all kind of it was steady. Um, but the, doc, the, the doctor called and said, hey, we just – did a routine checkup on Nora, a routine x-ray to see how things are healing. And she has air in her abdomen again. Mm. So you guys need to get down here and uh, we need to, you know, you guys, you need to decide if you're going to do surgery again. If you're going to do surgery again, then we'll, you know, maybe, maybe there's hope. If not, then she will die. So they present you with, hey, your choice is surgery again, where there is hope, or you just give up completely. Correct. This is on the car ride back to Sacramento. Correct. Yep. After we had left, and, you know, while she was never out of the woods, we left that day to go do the Christmas tree thing because mm -hmm. the report out was cautiously optimistic that we're turning right. a corner. Okay. So we're on two weeks now, um, and we were thinking, okay, cautiously optimistic. Um, she's in a pretty stable place. It's okay to go take a couple hours, spend some time with our oldest son. Sure. Um, and then, anyway, so so I said, you know, uh, I would like to talk to the surgeon or the doctor. Um, they So somebody else, another doctor called me on on the drive down there and uh, and just started talking through all of the possibilities um, and, and I said okay well you know we're here now we'll, we'll come in and meet you um, when we got to the seventh floor of the hospital which is the NICU we were greeted by child life specialists nurses doctors and surgeons at the front door and I was just like, the sight of that medical team, you know, a, a long time ago or with the first surgery, it was like this beautiful sort of chaos. Right. The sight of that team welcoming me at the NICU doors was like death. It was horrible. Mm -hmm. And I knew that it was just 
for them to meet us as a team at that front door and take us into a conference room to talk to us. It was, no, mind you, I asked for the meeting, but but I I wasn't ready for the meeting. Right. Uh, So, so we all went and debriefed on what's going on with Nora, what all the possibilities were, uh, what, what we should do for her. It included two doctors, probably three nurses, two surgeons, um, and a child life team, which, um, and in the end, we, the outcome, if we were to put her through surgery again, remember they had to cut away a third of her stomach. Right. The surgeon did not know, she, she had to assume that the stomach had reopened where she had sealed it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she, she basically was like, I don't have room. There's no room for the entry of the stomach of like, I don't know how I'm going to reheal this. Right. And she talked through some opportunities of maybe, uh, you know, if Nora were to survive, then there would be a series of other surgeries that would have to take place. She would have to have a bag outside of her stomach for a Mm -hmm. long time. Um, And then there were all these other complications. And, oh, by the way, we still don't know why this is happening to her. We haven't got to an underlying metabolic problem we have mm-hmm. we don't know what's going on with her brain for sure there was just all these right um so 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 we um they shared a ton with us um in my mind that whole time i was like ah, surgery 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 mm-hmm. we have to do the surgery we have to try like we don't give up but but then I, they left us there, and Richard and I started talking. And, like, all of a sudden, I really, like, was thinking about her quality of life. Right. About my son's quality of life. And years of surgery and mm-hmm. years of being in the NICU with no promise of anything, I all of a sudden was like, this is not the life that I want for my son either. You know, right. like we, so it we, it took us uh, about a solid hour. And, um, and then I, I turned the corner and went back to where Nick, uh, Nora's bed was. And I saw her surgeon sitting in a chair with her head in her hands kind of, and then hunched over. And she was just so visibly, like, broken down. And I said, I asked her, what would you do if it was your child? Oh, wow. And she looked at me and she said, I don't think she's strong enough to handle another surgery. Oh. Like, my big, she said, my biggest fear is not being able to bring you your baby back from surgery. And so she was, um, she's like, I don't want to lose her on that operating table. Right. Right. And that must have been so tough for you to ask that question. One, knowing what you probably knew the answer was going to be. Two, for her to be so honest with you in that moment saying, I I don't know if I could bring her back to you alive, you know, because it's so, it'll be so hard on her body. Yeah. And she was already just so critical, you know, she was. 
so right there, I just looked at her and gave her a hug, and I said, no surgery. And, and then Richard and I walked into the room and saw the rest of the team that was gathered around her bed, and we just said, no, no more surgeries. So, um, so then we moved into the next phase, which was basically just allowing us, and, and in my mind, you know, what Richard and I talked through was, mm-hmm. if we're going to lose her, we want to lose her, like, in a way that is comforting for us and for her. Like, right. I, I want her to feel our love, our hands on her, mm-hmm. not not the doctor's hands. Absolutely. So, um, so we called our families um, and said, you know, we're not going to do the second surgery, um, which just means it's it's a matter of time for Nora's body to shut down. Uh, so if you would like to come be with us and meet her and hold her and touch her, then come down. And the doctors mm-hmm. uh, kept Nora hooked up to everything uh, long enough to get our parents and everybody down to the hospital. Um, they, my mom brought her down some of her Nora's own clothes and a hat that we had made for her, and mm-hmm. you know, just some yeah. special things. And Richard and I, they took all the tubes off of her. We dressed her um, in her clothes, and we held her and snuggled her. Um, and we had our own room. Um, Richard Eve got to hold her. Mm-hmm. We and all of our family, like we were kind of sitting around in a circle in the in this waiting room, and um, everybody, we kind of just Nora just kind of went around the circle. Mm-hmm. Everybody got to hold her, um, and she made it all the way back around to me. And it was about an hour's worth of time. Okay, and then I could tell that her breasts were getting really, really big and deep and very far apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she just she died right there in my arms she took her last big breath and um, and I just kept telling her when she was in my arms that that it's okay mm-hmm. we loved her and, and and I was like encouraging her to just Hope you are angel, and we miss you, and we will love right. you forever. And you know, just you were just telling her it was okay to go. It was okay to go. Yeah, I didn't. She'd been through enough here on Earth, and um, mm-hmm. and she was braver. You know, I told you when I found out I was having a girl that I was excited to raise a little superwoman. Right. Um, and she was just braver and more courageous than I ever could have even imagined, really. And, yeah. Well, I'm going to let you take a breath here for a second. I'm going to say to everybody listening in that I thank you so much for coming on and sharing the story. It takes a lot of strength and a lot of courage to go back and relive it and feel it again. Yeah. But Candace is doing that. This is not just for fun, guys. This is not just to have a story to make people upset and cry. She's doing this because, and we'll hear more of her story goes on, to offer hope for people. And I can't thank you enough for being so strong right now and sharing those intimate moments about Nora and your family. 
in, in those last moments. So really, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're, yeah. You are a superwoman. <laughs> so believe that. It's crazy to me sometimes how um, the chaplain who came in after Nora died, she said, you need to retell this story as many times as you want to, however you want to, mm -hmm. for the rest of your life. Like, tell the story. And I had no idea what she was talking about at the time. I was like, in my mind, I was thinking, I don't want to hear this story ever again. Right, absolutely. But, but as the years have gone on, um, and we started doing a lot of the foundation work in Nora's memory, the healing happens when you tell the story. And it's okay for us to be vulnerable and to cry through the story. And um, it, like, liberates everybody else who is in the trenches experiencing similar things. And Absolutely. And I love, I love the conversations that happen with, uh, with members of, you know, our foundation team and the families that we serve. It is important to just talk and share share our stories and talk about our babies whether they're here or not. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, so no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast is for people to come on and share their story. And we talk about your story is so important to so many people out there. And the thing that I could say, and I know this is really going to touch a lot of people's lives when this goes live, is that the people who have been on my podcast and shared their stories as rough as they were. They heard nothing but amazing feedback that they said, you guys made me feel normal. I felt yeah. so isolated till I heard the story that you went through the same thing. I don't feel so isolated. I don't feel the shame or the loss that I did. And you telling the story and what we're going to talk about next, but keeping Nora's name alive and stronger than ever is just so important. And for I sure. just really, yeah. you're very brave and very strong for doing that. Well, you know, we came home. And, um, and it was amazing just the response and the amount of love from our community and family and friends that just, um, you know, our, our work friends, everybody um, who surrounded us and supported us and tried to lift us up. And, and I remember just feeling like I can't let all this energy just stop, you know, right. like all of this outpouring of love, like it is our job to make sure that we serve those families that, um, you know, in, in some way, like, we, we left the NICU, our journey to NICU was over, and, and part of that is so freeing, you know, you're, sure. but it was also hard, we woke up the next morning, and I just kept thinking, like, that hospital is full, like, we're not going back there today, but all the rest of them are still in the trenches, and, and so, you know, we decided to start the foundation, and to call it the Nora Foundation because we wanted to hear her name. Absolutely. We wanted, we wanted people to talk about her and to share her story and, and her brother's brother to hear her name. And, um, you know, and, and it was our way of, um, of allowing it to kind of have uh, I don't, like a happy ending, um, a lot of – Mm -hmm. meeting mind you we were we were creating the meeting but but um for us to know that she came her love was real and and we're carrying that love and spirit on um even though we can't see right see her every day you know 
Well, I think it's so important in a situation like this to understand that Nora wasn't your daughter. Nora is your daughter. That's and yeah. and it, that's so important for people to know and to say, keep saying her name. You know, I've heard this from some people who have been on my podcast before who had a similar situation. Say my baby's name. You know, that's you're, right. I named her because I love her and I love that name. So keep telling. I want to talk about Nora. That's and, right. And I so let's talk about what you did do. You wanted to keep Nora's name alive bigger than ever. So you guys started the Nora Foundation. Do you want to talk about what the Nora Foundation is? Sure. So the Nora Foundation, uh, we take care of families who have a child facing a medical crisis. And we try to uh, really focus, give each family uh, one-on-one attention. And what that means is, I think, you know, we could say we supply, we're a foundation that supplies hotel vouchers to families who mm-hmm. need a hotel or places to stay, but every family's needs are really truly unique, and some families just need somebody to talk to, they mm-hmm. need access to therapists, some families um, do need hotels, or some families are traveling, you know, hundreds of miles to get the best medical um, sure. services for their children, so really, we assign a, like a family care representative to each family, and we get to know the families, um, and we we take care of them. We love on them, whether we're calling them, texting them, mm-hmm. uh, uh, meeting them in person at the hospital to deliver right. food to them, uh, covering the, their hotel expenses. E- each family is truly uh, unique, and their situation sure. is unique. And um, some families we develop a really amazing relationship with, and other families we don't. Other families are like, you know, send my money in the envelope. (laughs) (laughs) And that's totally okay, too, and I totally get that. So the Nora Foundation is just here to be a source of love and a source of hope for families who have a child facing a medical crisis. And we, um, we serve primarily the Northern California region. Uh, and yeah, that's what we do. And we have, we, we, we don't just take care of families. Um, that is the bulk of how we spend our our time, um, and probably our first priority, but we also have been working in partnership, um, primarily with Sutter Sacramento, which is Nora's, Nora's hospital Uh where she spent most of her critical time. And, um, and we have an awesome initiative. Um, we we call it the project Always Together. It's our it's our NICU camera. I am so happy you brought that up. I have this written down on a piece of paper to talk about with you. Yeah. When I read that, I thought how amazing that was because when our daughter was in the NICU, like you, my wife called every two three hours, check on the feedings, make sure she was still breathing, and you know all the different stuff that goes on in the NICU. Right. And we would have killed to have a camera. Right. To be able to see what was going on and see her, even though we couldn't touch her, I mean, because we'd be there the next morning. And then, you know, you, just like you said, you can't sleep at the NICU. You can't sleep you know, necessarily at the hospital unless you're sitting in a chair, I guess. Yeah. So we were in that same boat, and we would have, it would have been everything to be able to have that camera to see her at that point. So tell us about Always Together, how that works. Yeah. So the, uh, a camera was one of the things that I just really, Richard and I talked about, even when Nora was in the hospital. Man, like, you can FaceTime from anywhere on the planet. Why, why is there not a camera system that I can be getting the report out on Nora mm-hmm. while the nurse is, you know, talking to me, I can be seeing and get a, get a visual on what's yeah. going on. Um, 
so we started, you know, doing some searches after, after Nora had died, and they do exist. They just weren't there available um, at the NICU where we were. So it became one of our priorities to, um, to work with Sutter Sacramento, and thankfully um, we found a couple really strong allies and partners at Sutter that were bought into the value and to our story, um, and so we're piloting it now. And the whole idea, what I love about it is, you know, if we can if we can fund a camera on every bed, 61 beds total in Sutter, Sacramento, mm -hmm. then every family that has a baby in that NICU, they can always be together with their baby. You know, moms have to go back to work. Dads, often, one of the parents is going back to work. Grandparents and extended family don't get to see the baby. It, it, is, it will just be... It will it will really really pick up the game of patient care. Um, so I'm I'm really thrilled. And that's amazing. I love that. Totally. Yep. How and many thousands so, of families? Think about the, that. Like over the that's years. That's huge. That's that's amazing. That you're connecting all these people. Not that you're even connecting. Nora's connecting. And Nora's right. name gets to stay alive in everybody's voice every single day. That that's is right. the coolest thing. It really is. And she's changing lives. For sure is. This little teeny little baby. Yep. Who's connected no to all those it. tubes <laughs> is changing lives. It's tiny, true. To show you this little tiny thing can have an amazing huge impact. That is yeah. such a cool thing. One of the things I saw on your website, and I really love this, it says that you guys strive to live by one simple principle is never take more than you give. Yeah. And I thought that was beautiful. What did that mean to you? You know, um, I that that quote um, that quote really I've that quote has been ingrained in my mind since I was a really young child, like a teenager. Um, mm -hmm. After I lost my brother, he was ten and I was twelve. That quote was kind of um, it's always kind of I I feel like it's a really strong value and principle of. Uh, making sure you're giving back to this world more than you can, more than you take mm -hmm. and serving others and loving on people. Um, I really, I think it is core to how I hope people will think of me and think of my family and, and some of the decisions that choices that we make. One example, <laughs> my, my son and I, mm -hmm. uh, we made a list of things we wanted to do this, this summer. Mm -hmm. And all the things were fun things that he wanted to do. I'm like, well, you know, don't you think we should, we need to take care of some other people or take care of the earth? He's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he started listing off all of these things. You know, we'll go pick up some garbage and maybe we can take some surprise treats to the hospital. And, you know, I don't know. It's just, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's one of those principles that I think I keep myself in check with. And, sure. Uh, yeah, and I hope it, it kind of, that sort of becomes contagious for other people, I suppose. Absolutely. I think you guys are obviously doing that. You guys are giving a lot of yourselves, of your lives, of uh, Nora's memory and her story, and keeping that going as well. So on your website, is the norafoundation.org, or is it just norafoundation.org? The norafoundation.org, yep. One of the things I thought was really cool on your website, there's obviously a spot to be able to donate and give. 
but I think the way you guys did it is different than I've ever seen it before on some websites. You showed real tangible ways to give. You know, some of the examples are one week of expenses someone could put money to, and then movie tickets or a day at the zoo or gasoline or food for the day. I mean, because a lot of times you go to websites and it's like donate money. You have no idea what it's going to. But for you guys to put that up there, it really showed me like, oh, this, if I donate this $1,000, this is going to take care of somebody's expenses for a week or give okay. them a chance to go out and do something normal with their family. That's Whose it. idea was to do that? That is brilliant. You know, um, to be honest, I can't, um, I don't know for sure. I remember we had a team meeting and it was around the holidays mm -hmm. um, and, and we wanted, um, we, we wanted people to know really the places where their money would go mm -hmm. and how much their money would get and how we're serving. So um, like you said, it's a, uh, Ideally, we we had started out brainstorming. Can we do like an adopt a family thing? But right. really, that that means that we're putting a lot of people on their stories on the website, and they're all constantly rotating a lot. And really, the the logistics around that would be a little bit tricky. Um, so this this is kind of these are all of the major things that we do um, consistently every week. Dollars are being spent in those buckets that you see on our website. So. Um, yeah, and then again, then whatever pulls at people's heartstrings, it helps them a little bit to feel comfortable with. No, that is great, and that really showed me. So that shows me how I can give to the Nora Foundation and, and know in a tangible way this is really going to help somebody just have gasoline for the day to be able to get back and forth uh, and really just make that. Because I think at the core of things when people donate, they want to make a difference, and sometimes they want to know how they're making a difference. And you for guys sure. have really laid that open for people very um, – transparent way so people know how they are making a difference in those people's lives. Let me ask you a final question, and this is why I ask everybody, is, you know, what kind of hope and encouragement could you, could you give to some family who's going through this right now or maybe just went through it? Yeah. The, the thing that I think um, I, I want people to know because things do get better, and they might get worse before they get better but I think you have to keep feeling whatever you feel there were days well you're just gonna feel every range of emotion possible mm -hmm. the highest of highs and the lowest of lows and when you're sad cry it out when you're mad be pissed mm -hmm. go ahead and when it feels really good to laugh laugh it out but I think it's all just part of the journey towards healing and and I guess I want people to know that I, I think myself and my family um, are good examples of you know it's been a hard road of grieving mm -hmm. and there's been really dark hours and there have been really beautiful moments in those dark hours um, and, and not every day or not every hour is a piece of cake now but if I look at where we are today mm -hmm. compared to where we were when we buried Nora there's a lot of really great healing that has happened there. And I think time and being willing to feel the highs and the lows um, are what kind of put a, pushed us through and got us to, mm -hmm. you know, some, some happier days. So um, there are brighter days coming. They will come. And um, don't get stuck in a trench. Um, or, you know, in the in a rut of today because today feels really yucky. Um, tomorrow's a new day. So 
That's perfect. I think that is a great way to end it. And like you said, um, we've had a grief coach on once before, and she talked about sitting in the pain. When you feel it, just sit in it. Take it and know that there is going to be another day tomorrow. You may feel differently, but allow yourself to feel it. And I think that's great advice um, because the name of the podcast is the Unwritten Life Podcast, that your story is unwritten. And your story is not over. Nora's story is not over. There's so many more things to write. Uh, so many great things to come and so many awesome things that you guys are doing as a family with your children and just keeping Nora's name alive and stronger than ever. Um, I can't thank you enough for being here today and being strong enough to share your message and your story. And lastly, I just want to ask if people want to connect with you, which I know they're going to after they hear it, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, The best way to get a hold of me is Candace, C-A-N-D-A-C-E at Team Nora, and it's Nora with an H, N-O-R-H dot org. So uh, you can email me, and then the relationship will take off from there. All right. Well, I will definitely, I'll include that in the show notes when the, we put the podcast out, and uh, that way we can people get a hold of you, and you can continue to change lives like you've done again. So again, Candice, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, what an amazing privilege it was for me to be able to have Candace on the show today and hear her share that story and her experience about her beautiful daughter, Nora, about the struggles that Nora went through from the time she was born up until the point where they decided that it was time to let her become an angel, and they held her and just let her go, and they made that decision for her future and their family's future, and what a tough decision it was, but a powerful one that she came on here to share to offer hope and encouragement to other people who are going through that. So I really appreciate her going to that dark spot. You know, it wasn't easy. You could hear it in her voice. A lot of sadness, a lot of um, bad memories, but she did it for a purpose because she has a vision for the future for Nora and what she wants to do with these other families. I think the Nora Foundation is amazing, the way that they have taken uh, certain things, what they're going to do as far as the initiative to have a camera on each bed in the NICU to bring the families together and how amazing and powerful that is. You know, I know as a parent who I had a child in the NICU, it would have been so great to always feel like you're together, be able to see them, even though you weren't there, people have to be at home or at work or things of that nature. I think they're doing such a great job with that. And how we talked about on the podcast, ways you can donate to the Nora Foundation, ways to impact family members just by donating maybe money to go to the zoo or for a movie or for week's expenses and things like that. So I definitely recommend going to the Nora Foundation. Let it touch your heart. Add some funds to the Nora Foundation. Donate to another family in need who could really use your help right now. After listening to Candace tell her story about her and Nora, it just makes you think and remember how precious life is, how precious the time that we have on this earth, the time we have with our family, with our friends, with our children. And to remember that those minutes matter. I've talked about that before on different podcasts, that those times add up. And you know, and I'm sure there isn't a minute or a second that goes by in a day with Candace that she doesn't wish she could have another second or a minute with Nora. So hold your family close together, guys. Love on them, laugh with them, cry with them, and just experience all the life and beauty that's around you. And like she said in the story where it was that crazy moment in the hospital, everyone was surrounding Nora and they were asking for blood and running and signing papers that even then, even then, Candace found beauty in the chaos. And I'm asking you guys to take a moment today and find beauty in your chaos 
or just in your life in general and celebrate and do it in the memory of Nora or somebody in your life and just make it a special day and a special moment and remember that there is beauty on the chaos and there is light on the other side and that Nora is alive more than ever and helping other people with her foundation and her name and to never forget that that even the tiniest person can make the biggest difference. Guys, I thank you so much for joining me today for our season two. And I want to hear from you guys. Your story is important. Your story really matters. And if you think you have something you can offer, I know you do, reach out to me at Tim at UnwrittenLifePodcast.com. You can also check out our website, UnwrittenLifePodcast.com. There is a contact form. You can ask questions there or maybe submit your story there and I can read a little bit of on the air. Check us out at our Facebook group, Unwritten Life Podcast, and also on Instagram, Unwritten Life Podcast. This is about community and about connecting people and connecting people through story and through hope and encouragement. So feel free to reach out to the people who have been on the podcast. Reach out to me. We want to communicate with you, and we want to start that message of hope, hope, hope for other people out there. So remember, we've come to the end of an episode, but this is not the end of your story, the end of your journey at all. Remember that you matter you can make a difference and that your story is still unwritten.